Our reading tonight is from the book of Luke, uh, chapter 8, verses 40 through to 56. So Luke chapter 8, beginning at verse 40. Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house, because his only daughter, a girl of about twelve, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for twelve years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, Don't be afraid. Just believe, and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him, except Peter, John and James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, My child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone about what had happened. Thanks, Laura, for reading earlier. Uh, If you've closed your Bibles, uh, do turn that uh, Luke chapter 8 passage back up again uh, so you can follow along with us. In my last year in Canterbury, the year after I'd finished university, I was lodging with a family. There they are. That's Mel and Sam and their little boy Barney. He's a bit bigger now. Uh, They're great. Uh, Sam's a Man United fan, but other than that, they're absolutely great. One morning after I was walking home from work, I knew I was coming home to an empty house. Sam was a teacher, Mel was a nurse. I knew they were both working. And I knew I was going to spend an afternoon of chilling, eating and watching telly. I got to the door. I pulled my keys out of my pocket. But something felt wrong. I looked down and I saw that the keys I had were not my house keys. They were the keys to the church that I worked for. No. Proper heart drop moment 
I checked every pocket I had on me. I checked the bag I was carrying. I was banging on the door. But I knew what I'd done. I'd picked up the wrong set of keys when I left the house in the morning. My house keys were inside a locked, empty house. That beautiful, chilled afternoon I was going to have immediately disappeared as I realised my only options were walking around Canterbury aimlessly all day or knocking on a mate's door and praying that they would be in. It was an unfixable situation. But some unfixable situations are far darker and more hopeless than my own forgetfulness, aren't they? Read any tabloid newspaper and on almost every page you'll see just how hopeless our world is. Terrorism, North Korea, a whole year of COVID, divorce, diagnoses, depression, some moments, experiences, events in our lives just leave us feeling that our world is just hopeless darkness. I don't know if you've ever experienced or know someone who's experienced a chronic illness. I have. For them, there is a crushing reality that the illness that's making their lives harder and harder each day is not likely to go away anytime soon. For them, it seems there is no hope for healing, no hope for freedom from this condition. It is a hopeless life. But nothing is quite as hopeless as death, is it? That final end, that inescapable destiny, that destroyer of hope that death is. Where's the answer to death? Where's the future in death? Where's the hope in death? All those questions will be answered tonight as Jesus brings hope to two utterly hopeless situations. I'm going to pray for us now. Father, we thank you that you are at work uh, within uh, this building today and within the congregation at home. Uh, We pray that you would be uh, helping us to to learn from your words and see what you want us to see tonight. Amen. So we heard from Stephen last week about part one of this trilogy of amazing miracles. Jesus' victories over demons, disease and death. We saw the incredible healing of the demon-possessed man. A man in an impossible situation, fighting a powerful enemy whose life was transformed for the better by throwing himself at the feet of Jesus Christ. Now, as Jesus heads back to Galilee, We get parts two and three in a bumper director's car extended edition, double miracle odyssey. In Luke 8, throughout almost all the chapter, we see Jesus' power over all evil. The natural evil of the storm in verses 22 to 25, the demonic evil in Legion in verses 26 to 39. And here we see Jesus' power over the evil of suffering and death as Jesus brings hope to a woman with a chronic illness and a dead child and her family. 
Jesus has been preaching a message of hope throughout all of Luke's gospel. A message of repent, be healed, come to me, have hope in me. He's been doing amazing things. He's been bringing healing where there is hurt, love where there is loathing, peace where there is pain. And as always, when amazing things start happening, people start talking. Crowds are flocking to meet Jesus. Even important people, really important people, like synagogue leader Jairus, are coming to Jesus, falling at, their, falling at his feet and asking for help in verse 41. The first character we're going to meet in this passage from Luke tonight, Jairus, the hopeless man. He is a man who desperately needs some hope. His daughter is dying. So he begs at Jesus' feet and pleads, please, 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 come and help. He understands a bit of who Jesus is, doesn't he? He understands that Jesus can help. Although hope is fading, he has faith in Jesus. Faith enough to fall at his feet. Now we think we know the drill with Jesus' healing miracles, right? Someone needs healing, they ask Jesus for healing, and Jesus heals them. Bish, bash, brosh, done. But this is different, isn't it? Jesus begins towards Jairus' house. He fights through the hustling and bustling crowd. The sort of crowd we might expect to see at a busy railway station or a sporting event. Remember those. People are brushing up against Jesus, rubbing shoulders with him, crushing him in, in verse 42. Imagine a London underground train on a Saturday afternoon pre-lockdown. That's the sort of crowd that's going on here. And in among that claustrophobic chaos, a woman reaches out and brushes the cloak of Jesus. A hopeless man, and now a hopeless woman. A woman who, unlike Jairus, has been dealing with hopelessness for a huge chunk of her life. A woman whose life has been dominated by a chronic illness. Twelve years of constant bleeding. Now, without going into too much detail, we know what the Bible is talking about when it mentions a woman is bleeding, don't we? Leviticus 15, verse 25. When a woman has a discharge of blood for many days at a time other than her monthly period, or has a discharge that continues beyond her period, she will be unclean as long as she has the discharge, just as in the days of her period. Anyone who touches them will be unclean. They must wash their clothes and bathe with water, and they will be unclean till evening. Culturally, this is a very embarrassing condition. She'd have been shunned, ignored, maybe even mocked for her uncleanness. Now, if something's been happening to you for 12 years, you'd be forgiven for thinking that it will always be there. I'm 24 this year. I'm turning 24 this year. 12 years is half my life. 
This is a chronic, relentless illness that has wrecked a woman's livelihood. This is a crushing condition that has dominated her life for over a decade. She's like the one COVID patient in a healthy world. She is no stranger to self-isolation. One touch to someone else would make that person unclean. But in verse 44, that unclean touch of the woman becomes the healing touch of Jesus. One touch of a piece of fabric that barely came in contact with Jesus Christ is enough to wipe away a 12-year-long chronic illness. One touch from Jesus can cleanse any wound, can heal any illness, can cure any virus. Jesus, in less than a second, without making contact with her, has healed her. She is immediately freed. Now, we love our doctors, don't we, in this country? We love our nurses. We love our NHS, quite rightly. But the healing power of Jesus here is greater than that of all medical science throughout all human history. One touch and 12 years comes to an end. A decade of being shunned and she's healed. Jesus has beaten the disease. But he's got something even bigger lined up for this woman. He's got something even more important ready for her. Jesus has more important concerns for this woman. She just wanted to be healed. She's thinking, just touch him, see if I'm healed, then I'll go. No fuss, don't want people to hear anything about this condition I have. I just want to go unnoticed. This is embarrassing. But Jesus, in his love and compassion for this shunned and rejected woman, calls her out. After the death of Sarah Everard earlier this month and all the discussions that have gone on since, it's amazing and encouraging to know that Jesus has compassion for all women. He wants to hear their voice and wants to hear their struggles. Among the carnage of this crowd, for Jesus, everything stops as he feels the touch of this woman and calls her out. Jesus didn't have to talk to her. He could have ignored the touch as just one of many that he's receiving in this packed crowd. But he calls her out. She owns up and falls at his feet and says, Jesus, your power has healed me. But do you see what Jesus says in verse 46? Daughter, your faith has healed you. Not magic, not Jesus' special clothes, not even a vaccine. Her faith. Jesus' main concern here is not the woman's physical state. It's her faith. That's the focus of this situation. That's what causes her to be healed. This may be hard to understand. I found it hard to understand. But it's true. In our sufferings, our sicknesses, our unfixable situations, 
It's more important that our faith is in Jesus than it is for us to be physically healed. That's the bigger issue here. We always pray in our sufferings, don't we? Lord, heal me. Lord, just heal this person. Lord, just make it right. Michael Wilcock, a Bible commentator, says this. Jesus may not give the kind of victory we expect. He may not just heal us, but he will always overcome trouble in some way if we ask him. His answer in trying circumstances may be relief or endurance. In illness, it may be health or courage. At death's door, it may be rescue or bereavement and new hope with it. Jesus will always bring healing and reparation of sorts, but not always as immediately as we'd like. Not always in the way that we would like. Jesus could heal us physically, but even more importantly than that, he can build us up spiritually. He can fill us with the strength and hope and faith that we need in our sufferings. He could use our sufferings to turn the small faith like that the woman has in verse 44. Maybe just touching his cloak might heal me. And turn that faith into a faith that in verse 47 falls at Jesus' feet in awe. That is really why this healing is incredible. But no matter how amazing this miracle is, there's one thing that's firmly hanging in the air over this event, isn't there? There's one thing that's in the back of your mind that's, that's overshadowing this story. One thing that maybe you're thinking about right now. Didn't we spend a bit too short a time talking about the hopeless man? He's, he's still there, right? H- hang on. Haven't you got somewhere to be, Jesus? I mean, yeah, we get it. It's, it's great you've healed this woman. But aren't you already on a job? Isn't there a more pressing concern to attend to here, Jesus? Didn't Jairus say his daughter is dying? Verse 49. While Jairus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Well done, Jesus. If you hadn't wasted time chatting to that random woman, you could have got to Jairus' house on time and healed his daughter. Jairus got to you first. His daughter needed healing. Jairus is an important synagogue leader. That woman was nothing. She was an outcast. Why stop to chat to her? She's a nobody. When there was a girl dying, now, now you've missed your chance. You've let the girl die. Why bother the teacher anymore? Go home. I mean, we know Jesus is a healer. We've just seen it. But someone already dead? No way. Case closed. No one can bring back the dead. 
But just like for the unclean woman, five words changed the story completely. First we had, your faith has healed you. Now, don't be afraid. Just believe. Have faith in me, Jairus. Though it seems like all hope is gone, your daughter is dead. Trust me, I can still help you. And so as Jesus enters Jairus' house, he looks into the eyes of a family of a 12-year-old girl who died a matter of minutes ago and says the most shocking words he could have said in verse 52. Don't worry, she's only sleeping. If there was one sentence that would have made everyone in the room hate him and lose faith in him immediately, it's that. These people are in heartbroken, crying out loud, wretched mourning. And Jesus tells them to be quiet. And so in verse 53, they laugh at him. I've been fortunate enough to visit a couple of African countries uh, in my life. I've visited Zimbabwe and New Growth Ministries. I've also visited Uganda. Those of us who've been to African nations might have experienced the sort of laughter that Luke is talking about here. In many African countries, when they're shocked or, or disgusted by something, they don't do what we do, tut, roll our eyes and, and avoid eye contact. They laugh. They laugh in disgust and anger. Jesus has made everyone in this room disturbed and uncomfortable. So they can only laugh as their last hope seems to insult them. So imagine the scene as the room that was laughing in disgust descends into silence as the man walks up to a hopeless child takes her by the hands and says get up one touch two words and death is overcome life is restored I wish I could enter this scene and see the look on the faces of Jairus' family. Luke says in verse 56, astonished. I don't think any words in any language that has ever been created by man would come close to describing how the people in that house would have reacted to seeing this beloved 12-year-old girl up and about as if she'd just woken up from a quick afternoon nap. Lost to the hope-crushing hand of death. And suddenly, after one touch from Jesus, hope is restored. That is the power of Jesus. One of my great loves in life is the TV show Doctor Who. I love Doctor Who. 
One of the big reasons of many that I love it is the character of the Doctor, played there by Jodie Whittaker. The Doctor comes up against the most evil and scary forces in the universe and always wins. The Doctor always wins. The Doctor could be surrounded by Daleks or Cybermen or vampire, alien, monkey, space robots and you can always be assured that the Doctor's got a plan up the sleeve that'll save the day. No matter the crisis, when the Doctor's on your planet, you've always got hope. You've always got someone to have faith in. You see this in the world of sport as well, don't you? If Ben Stokes is batting for England, if he's at the crease, England have got a chance, even if they're on their last wicket and they need about 150 runs to win. If Michael Jordan is playing for the Chicago Bulls, they've got to be the favourites. You've always got a chance when you've got Thierry Henry on your team. When Jesus walks into that room, there was no hope. A girl was dead, but you've always got hope when Jesus is in the room. You've always got a chance when Jesus is in your corner. When you know Jesus, you've always got someone to have faith in. Twelve years of bleeding. A twelve-year-old dead child. Two touches for two women from one Jesus. And their lives and the lives of their families, their whole world is changed for the better. The best day of their lives, the day they met Jesus, the man with the power over disease and death, the man who can bring hope to a desperate world, a man who you today can decide to put your faith in, a man who we as Christians can bring to our friends and our family and say, Do you want to follow this guy? Do you want to fall at the feet of the Lord over death? Do you want to put your faith in Jesus? Let me take you back to the doorstep. Me on the doorstep. No key. Locked out of the house. I did the only thing that I thought could potentially help. I texted Mel. These are my exact words. Hi, do you know when you'll be back from work? So I left the house this morning thinking I'd got my key, but I accidentally picked up the keys to church rather than the keys to home, so now I'm locked out. Three facepalm emojis. I waited, and my phone beeped. Lucky you. There's one under the log pile that the chimney sweep left. I know, right? Who knew people still had chimney sweeps? Who knew they were still a thing? But one had come to the house in the morning. Mel and Sam had left a spare key for him to let himself in and told him to leave the key on the doorstep. The one day that I'd forgotten my key, there was one waiting for me all along. That was me, beaming at my phone on the doorstep. I saw the text. Hope flooded through me. I scrambled under the log pile, and there was a key. 
I tried the keyhole and I was in. That unfixable, hopeless situation rescued out of nowhere. But 2,000 years before that day, 2,000 miles away from Canterbury, on a Friday, the world encountered the most unfixable situation it has ever found itself in. The day the blood of Jesus was poured out on the cross, it seemed like the one great hope of the universe had been wiped away forever. In the face of that ultimate hope crusher, the death of Jesus Christ, it seemed like the world, the universe, all of creation would never have cause to have hope again. For three days, hopelessness and utter, utter darkness. But as Jesus rose from the dead, he showed that he is the bringer of hope that you can always have faith in. He is the man who can beat death. At the cross and empty tomb of Jesus, all demons, disease and death in the world has been destroyed. The tears that they bring have been wiped away. The power that they have to destroy hope has been torn down and broken apart. As we sung earlier, all our sickness, all our sorrows, Jesus carried up the hill and dealt with and destroyed as he died on the cross and rose again. That is the work of Jesus That is a man that you can trust. No matter how great your suffering or trauma is, it can be overcome through the power of Jesus. Either overcome through healing or overcome through his work within you, strengthening and building you up. And there's only one thing that we need to do. Throw yourself at the feet of Jesus. Whether you're a powerful synagogue leader like Jairus, an outcast sick woman, or a child, throw yourself at the feet of Jesus. Come to him in your struggles. And in his kindness, he will help you. If your faith is in Jesus, the destroyer of death, the one who can bring us life after death with him in heaven, you know that you can always have solid, firm, real hope. No matter how empty or dark or hopeless or broken the situation is, whether it's a chronic illness, the death of a loved one, or COVID-19, Have faith. Take hope. Don't fear. And throw yourself at the feet of Jesus Christ. Phil.